0: Discover community, find hope, and experience God. This is Discovering Hope with Pastor Eric Kuhner This morning, I get to um, talk on a subject that may be a little controversial, a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about drunkenness, and um, not so much as drinking per se, but on the at, on the form of drunkenness. And I, I'm thinking of a story, and I was preparing this week for this message, and and the story of Mickey Mantle came to mind. And I don't know how many people are familiar with who Mickey Mantle is, but most people, some, maybe some of you younger, like, I don't, is that he's akin to Mickey Mouse? I don't know. He's not, he's not a first cousin by any chance. But Mickey Mantle was an incredible, incredible baseball player that played back in the 1950s, 60s. He played for the Yankees. Not a Yankees fan, but a fan of great talent. Great athletes love to watch great athletes compete. And uh, never got to watch him play. I wasn't born then. But any uh, close to it. But um, Mickey Mantle was... Incredible, credible baseball player. 18 years for the Yankees, had all these accolades, had all these accomplishments, all these awards, winning the World Series, MVPs, All Star Games, all these things that he, he accomplished in life. Came into the league when he was 19 years old uh, as a rookie and played in, as a rookie in his first for some of the first games, brought in the World Series, uh, got the ability to play just his talent and who he was uh, as a man, as an athlete, was incredible to watch. Had all these uh, great accomplishments. Could hit the ball. It was I mean he could bomb it. He had one of the longest home runs, over six hundred and something feet recorded. All these things when you look at his life, you think, Oh man, if you just looked at that, you think that he was an incredible person, incredible man, because a lot of times we look on the outside appearance of somebody and we see all these accomplishments and we see all these goals, but a lot of times we don't see what's going on behind the scenes. It, said, it was said of Mickey Mantle when he first entered the, 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 the dugout, the very first time he came into the locker room, one of the, one of the guys walked up and handed him a beer. He said, welcome to the big leagues. And he just chugged it down. But Mickey didn't know that was his very first drink that he'd ever drank. And he never knew that in that moment what it was going to lead him to, what was going to happen in just taking that one drink. For some of us, it's not. A, some of us, it's not a big deal. For some of us, it doesn't take us further than we want to go. But for Mantle, it took him a lot further than he wanted to go, and it kept him a lot longer than he should have stayed. That's what sin is like in our life. Sin takes you further than you want to go, and it keeps you longer than you want to stay. When we look at that, we look at Manol's life. All of a sudden, we begin to see the tragedy. His life is not a life of victory, but it's more of a life of a loss. The things that Manol lost in his life. Because of alcohol, because of becoming a, basically a staggering drunk that did, was dependent upon every day of having a drink, every day going to that source, not just sitting down and having a glass of wine with supper, but his, his goal was to, to every day that every time he'd take a drink was to get as much as possible. To get to a place where he's overindulging and becoming drunk. Manel says this, he said, alcohol destroyed my mind. I could be talking to you and just completely forget about my train of thought. I'd forget what day it was, what month it was, what city I was in. He said, it destroyed, it, alcohol destroyed mantles, peace of mind. He said, I had these, these weird hangovers, bad anxiety attacks. Uh, there were times when I locked myself in my bedroom just to feel safe. Alcohol also destroyed Mantle's body. Uh, the doctor said, your liver looks like a doorstop. Before long, you're just going uh, to have one big scab for a liver. We see the damage that's done to his body. He said, eventually, you're going to need a new liver, but the next drink you might take might be your last. Alcohol diminished Mantle as a baseball player. Uh, he said, the drinking shortened my career. Casey Stingo had said that when I came up, he said, he said, I'm going to be better than Joe DiMaggio. I'm going to be better than Babe Ruth. He said, but it never happened. He said, because I didn't take care of my body. I didn't take care of what I was doing to what I was putting in my body. He said, alcohol robbed Mantle of a deep relationship with his four sons. He said, one of the things I really screwed up besides baseball, he writes, was being a father. I wasn't a good family man. I was always out running around with the guys, always looking for something more. We look, if you study, look a little bit about Mickey Mantle's life, you even see that his son struggled with alcoholism. His wife struggled. They all went through treatment. They all went through the place of dealing with their addiction. What what it does to your family, what alcohol does to your children, what it does to your relationships. Mickey said this at a news conference before he passed away, that he had squandered a gifted life and warned admirers he was no role model. He said, God gave me the ability to play baseball. God gave me everything he said for the kids out there don't be like me. He said when God warns us against drunkenness he isn't a spoil sport he's a lifesaver see every year there's a there's an increase in drug use, but it pales in comparison to the fact that that the number one of the the most of the uh, worldwide addictions is drunkenness it's something that takes hold in our life it's something when you, when you enter into it. Is something that begins to, to trap your your mind, to trap your your heart and soul. So I know some of you are thinking right now, is he going to talk about things that we shouldn't be drinking, period? I'm not talking about that. There's so many scriptures that talks about the wine being good, talking about the fruit being good, and what it's used for and, and municipal purposes and for celebration. And, all, and we can get at that, and some people can begin to say something against that as well and begin to argue the fact, well, you should never do this or you should never do that. A lot of that goes back to the fact, if it's the heart issue, it's not a mind issue, it's not in our mind trying to figure things out and make it all right, it's the back to the fact of our heart. It goes to the very heart of who we are as followers of Christ and who we're going to be. Solomon writes this in Proverbs uh, chapter 20 in verse 1. So we're going to talk about the facts of some of the things that is revealed in scripture about drunkenness. The point blank things of talking about drunkenness being a sin. So if you used to ask that question, I've been asked this question so many times. I've been asked this question from a lot of times from teenagers is the fact they come up, they, and adults, a lot of times looking for kind of an excuse to do something in their life. And they they always ask it, not not they, but a lot of people ask you a question of, Hey, is it a sin to drink? Is it a sin to do this? Is it a sin to the, it's like we're looking from something to kind of give us the okay from somebody in leadership, a pastor director. Tell me it's okay that I do this. Even though the question in itself is, you know, you're struggling with it. And if you're struggling with something, a lot of times you should just say, Hey, I probably shouldn't do it. I probably shouldn't go there because I know the benefits are not going to be great in my life. If I continue to walk in this area. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1 says, wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. So understand we're talking about drunkenness today. We're talking about overindulging. We're talking about the fact that wine is a mocker. When you think of being mocked, you think you're being made fun of, right? It's somebody picking at you for something in your life. It's to the fact when you are drunk, you look like a moron. When you are drunk, you look like a fool. You talk like a fool. You act like a fool. I've never seen somebody drunk that doesn't act stupid or act weird or act different. It changes who we are. It changes our personality. It changes the way we react, the way we talk, the way we walk, everything about us. So wine indulges in the fact that wine comes to the place that begins to mock you. It makes that you you are being made fun of itself, but it's also a thing that constantly is wanting to draw you back. And it says, beer a brawler, whoever's led astray by them is not wise. I can remember in my teenage years... Being in those places, being mocked, being made fun of. Yes, I wasn't of legal age to drink, but I remember whatever ways we could get it, we got it, and it was always for the intentions, not to just social drink. Our intentions was to get drunk. Our intentions was the party. Our intentions was to have fun. Our intentions was to change who we are. Our intentions was to experience what. What is this all about? In every time, I found myself. Completely different than who I was, who I thought I was, or maybe it was revealing some things within me that were always there, just didn't realize it as it brought things out of my life. Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35. Now, and I want you to hang on these. I want you to hear some of this, what, what Solomon's writing, because this is the perfect picture of somebody that's struggling, somebody that's overindulging in alcohol. In verse 29, he says, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? And he answers it basically is those who linger over wine who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. He goes on to say, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but do not fill it. When When will I wake up so I can find another drink? I mean, this is like the perfect passage for an alcoholic, somebody that's struggling, somebody that's constantly in the place of seeking more and more and more. And we see the images. We see the results. We see the, the pattern of what it looks like when we constantly overindulge in our life. We see that waking up in the morning. We see the red eyes. We see the fatigue. We see the thing that we want more for some reason as we're hanging our heads in the toilet and we're barfing and we're doing all these things and we're, oh, this is great. I, don't, I can't wait till in the morning to get back with my buds and have another drink. I don't get it. Never enjoyed that. There was nothing that was something appealing to me. But yet here's the picture of it. It's saying it's somebody that can find another drink. It's because it's taking them further. It's holding on. It's become something of need. It's become something of desire, something of want. And now all of a sudden it's entrapped us. It's taken us to a place that we shouldn't be in. Your eyes are going to see strange sights. You're going to see things on your side in your mind. It does so many things. And we see this pattern of what's here. And Solomon's is giving wisdom. Our first point is drunkenness exposes. Drunkenness exposes. It exposes things in our life. It exposes and begins to see in our life. Alcohol begins to reveal things within us. Alcohol has been called the great truth serum. If you want to get to the bottom of yourself, to truly know yourself better, grab a bottle and you're going to begin to see in your life. You're going to begin to see sometimes things come out. I've been around enough people, been around enough friends, been around, well, all of a sudden, two or three beers in, two or four or five beers in, all of a sudden, that things begin to be spoken of, things begin to said. guard comes down, and what's being revealed is like, whoa, did not need to hear that, did not know to know that. All of a sudden, things are beginning to happen in your life because it's taking you to a place you're like, wow, is drunk you the real you? Let me ask you that. Is drunk you the real you? I know I'm not going to get a lot of amens this morning. <laughs> Trust me, I have struggled with this all week, walking through this topic. But the reality of it, it's real. It's a battle. Sometimes we don't want to hear the tough things. Sometimes we don't want to walk in the things and being reminded of what is spoken about these things. Sometimes we're, we just want to be like, oh, just give us the, the good messages of stuff. See, I think people drink for a lot of reasons. Many drink to experience freedom, to feel empowered, for escape, or to bury the pain. We all have these reasons. The thing is, what comes out when you're drunk? So what comes out of you when you're drunk? How do you act in person, over the phone, on social media, or in text messages? Excessive alcohol will unlock you to yourself and to all your friends. It's going to begin to reveal things in you that's really been there. For It's true. Alcohol does not bring anything out of a person that was not already there. The heart is always the tap keg of any anger, lust, or profanity that pours out. We understand that what it begins to do, it begins to really begin to show the really deep down things in our life that's really who we are. Matthew 12, 34 through 35 says, you brought a vipers. How can you speak? I mean, how can you who are evil say anything good for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of? A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in who uh, up in him. So the thing is, is who who you are when you're drunk is you. He pulls down the walls. It pulls down the guards. All of a sudden, there's this freedom. There's sense of like, I can say whatever I want to say. There's no filter. There's no filter. When you're in that place, your mind's like going, shut up. Stop saying it. But your mouth just keeps speaking. Your heart keeps flowing out because when you're drunk, that's the real you that's coming out. That person is you, but maybe it's a small, pitiful, broken, and incomplete you. A you marred by sin. Consumed with self, blind to truth, and therefore numb to reality. It's not the you that God created you to be. It's not the the you that's most in tune with real life. And it's not the fullest and happiest you when you're drunk. Drunkenness may expose things deep inside of you, but it doesn't have any good news for the darkness that emerges. It will show you all of you. It will convince you that this is the best version of yourself. That's where that wine is a mocker. It convinces you. Man, this is the best version of who you are. Right here. It convinces you that this is okay. It convinces you that this is alright. It wants you to begin to play, condone a lifestyle. To be trapped in the place. You know, in Genesis chapter 9 verses 20 through 21. It says, Noah, a man of the soil proceeded to plant a vineyard when he drank some of its wine he became drunk and lay uncovered inside of his tent and we look at Noah Noah's this great man who, uh, who obeyed the Lord and saved his entire household through the building of the ark chose to drink more than he should have and became drunk which led him to a, a place of shame it, it took him to where all of a sudden his guard came down and he lay naked within his tent and you're like, well, he was in the privacy of his own home. What did it matter? But at that time, it was a shameful thing because his sons walked in and saw their dad laid out like that. And it caused so much turmoil in that in that family from that point forward. You can read the story. You can go there and see what, what happened because of that. There was cursings upon a grandson because of the, the way his father acted. And there was things in that grandson all of a sudden that, that actually brought division because of his drunkenness. You know, we think the story, Noah just got off the boat and he got drunk. It didn't happen that way. It, it took a period of time. There was, the waters had to recede. Noah went and found a place to live and he found a place and property and began to plant his vineyard, begin to do this. And he had to experiment with the vine. He had to experiment with the fruit to make it something that was powerful enough to even get him drunk. So he knew what he was doing. It wasn't by accident that he came drunk. This became something in his life of a sense of a, of a lifestyle. Because the wine itself, the vine itself, the fruit itself does not all of a sudden automatically become this most powerful, potent alcohol if you just leave it alone. Yes, it ferments and yes, there's a process a little bit, but it's not even enough that's going to phase you. It's that we as men and women, it's we have to take the science and put it to it and make it more powerful than it is. We have to make it stronger than it is. We have to invent new drinks and more powerful stuff that that more we put into us, it. the faster we become the drunk, the faster we become to feel happy and excited. The way it makes us transform and change. We can look through that scripture and see time and time again where, where, where men, were where people and stories were, were affected because of their drunkenness, the way it transformed their life, the way it, it brought debauchery, the way it brought uh, shame and sin and destruction and death. We look in Genesis 19 and we see where Lot, Lot's daughters got him and drunk and then they slept with him. His own daughters because of their fear, but yet they got their dad drunk. Nabal, uh, in 1 Samuel 25 uh, 37, he said it was disqualified for leadership because of his lack of self-control. Because he was so desiring the alcohol, he was so desiring to be drunk, that it disqualified him for the fact that God disqualified him for leadership. In 1 Kings 16.10, it says, King Allah was assassinated while drunk. King ben and in 1 Kings 20, 21, was defeated in battle because of his pride and drunkenness. King Belshazzar, in Daniel 5, 30, was slain while he was drunk. Felix, the governor of Judea, in Acts 24, 25, refused to listen to Paul's message of salvation because of his drunken lifestyle. We can see time and time again the things, what it does... What it brings upon the chaos, the things that it does to our, to our families, what it does. Uh, you know, no, no one ever takes the first drink thinking they want to be an alcoholic. Nobody goes in thinking, oh, I want to see what this takes. I want to be with my friends. I want to be around the table. And that first drink, nobody has the idea that that first drink may be the thing that's going to take you into a place of becoming alcoholic. That's not our, our desire. That's not our thought. But we never know for the person it does affect in a way that that first drink takes them further than they want to go. See the danger in over the danger in overindulgent alcohol is that it can trap you in lifestyle, the dependence. It says, "I must have a drink to relax. I must have a drink to socialize. I must have a drink to deal with life. I must have a drink to fit in. I must have a drink because I'm happier when I drink." That's when the danger begins to lie in is because when we become dependent on the fact if we just have a drink that gets me through the day, I'm okay with that. Or I just need this to be around people because I can talk better. All of a sudden we've had this more dependence on the fact of having a drink and less dependence upon God and His Holy Spirit. we become more dependent on the fact of like this, this alcohol is going to make me feel better than instead of going to God to say, okay, God, I need you now. It's learning to make the separation of what we're dependent on are we dependent upon God or are we dependent upon some substance alcohol it could be anything in our life it causes less dependence upon God and less de- more dependence on something else when we become more dependent on alcohol or any other substance or thing that for that matter we lose control of who we truly are and who God intended us to be see the more a person consumes the more a person loses. Person loses the will to think straight. They're foolish. They're, it, it, begin to think you have false courage. All of a sudden, you, you think you're you're unstoppable. You think you're this place, and whoever dare look at you a certain way, all of a sudden, you're like, let's go, let's do this. That that, that courage, that false courage, gets your butt whipped time and time again. Because you chose to think because of, of what you put in your body, all of a sudden now, man, I'm in, I'm unstoppable. And yet you can't even see which person you're supposed to be fighting, because there's three or four of them in front of you, and there's only one person. Person loses the will to act right. I think there's three different types: of drunk, and there may be more. But there's always the crying drunk, the laughing drunk, and then and the just the for fighting mad drunk. And probably all of y'all know who they are, and sometimes it's all the same person. Because one minute you're crying, one minute you're laughing, next thing, let's do it. I'm ready to fight, and I'm mad, I'm angry at the world, everything. All these things and emotions begin to come out when we begin to overindulge. We lose who we are. We lose the will to act right. We lose the ability to control ourselves. It's the way we walk and talk. All of a sudden, we've very lost the very ability to even walk right. I've never seen anybody that's completely inebriated, that's completely drunk, walk right at all. It's one of the most comical things to watch, or to even talk right. Most of the time, everything is their their speech is slurred; they're not making sense. You've lost the ability to make sense. You've lost the ability to control yourself, and the person that's will lose the ability to function. Lose the ability to function. Eventually probably just pass out. I've seen friends, I've seen people just pass out in some of the most weird places, weird positions. When they overindulge. they got to a place. All these things are factors of when we begin to overindulge in our life. The thing is, we can't be filled with the Spirit and filled with wine at the same time. We can't be filled with the Spirit and be filled with alcohol at the same time. It's absolutely impossible. That's not a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit that says, man, I'm going to be drunk and I'm going to be over here and I'm going to be worshiping and praising. It doesn't doesn't work that way. We can't be full of, of alcohol and also be full of the Spirit at the same time. As we jump into our second point, we're going to talk about forfeiting and fulfilling. Ephesians 5, 18 and 21. I love what Paul begins to write here, what Paul is talking about in our life. Paul says, do not get drunk on wine. We can just leave it right there. Does the Bible say we shouldn't get drunk? Yep. Right there. We can also look at, there's several other scriptures that you can begin to look at. What, that, that drunkenness is not, that what it talks about as far as drunkenness. This is, drunkenness will not enter heaven. They have no part of it. Those that are drunkards will not enter heaven. I, I didn't say it, God's word says it. But Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we see that what Paul is saying is, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I think some of us think, some people may think that forsaking worldly pleasures is just a way to declare that I'm a Christian. To set myself apart from all the bad people. But we look here, Paul's picture of self-denial is not merely a loss, but a trade. Not mainly a forfeiting, but a fulfilling. Forsaking drunkenness is a path to become a more whole and a happier person. And when we're putting on the spirit, when we're replacing in our life the fact of not getting drunk and being filled with the spirit, uh, we rehearse the good news, exercising self-control and serving each other within a community of believers. We begin to walk in it. It's not making ourselves less but it's in ways in which we rid ourselves of sin. It rids ourselves of the old us, the old you. It makes us, uh it's, it's to become more of who we were designed to be. It's when we choose to walk in that. To say, it's what we're giving away. It's what we're choosing to give up. It's not less, it's more. It's the, it's the decrease that God began to increase when we choose to say, God, I will not be this person. You have made me new. In drunkenness, we retreat and surrender to sin inside of us, accepting that broken me is the real me, and it's the me I'll always be. Some of us think this is what we're stuck in. We think that's who we have to be because addiction is too much, and we don't want to ask for help. We don't want to reach out. We don't want to get past where we're at. And so we find ourselves saying, this is me, and this is who I'm always going to be. But in the Spirit, we cleanse and advance ourselves with truth, grace, hope, and joy—not artificial and expiring counterfeits. Ephesians five eighteen teaches us the difference between the old life and the new life. What Paul is saying here, he's emphasizing that Christians are to imitate God by being filled with the Spirit. That's the new life. That they must not get drunk with wine. That's the old life. Paul points out is that drunkenness is a char- characteristic of the old life. So when we see the old life, we, we look at the first part of that scripture. The first characteristic of the When we look at the characteristic of the old life. He's saying, do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery. When we hear that word debauchery. It's a big word. What does that word mean? When he even says that he's talking about the old life. A life before Christ. Christians not only drank wine and got drunk, but their drinking led to debauchery. That's a big word. We're like, okay, what does it mean? Well, the word debauchery means having no hope of safety, extravagant squandering, recklessness, excessive indulgence, and sensual pleasure. There's all these things that we look at that what debauchery means. And the the same word is used in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. It says that man had two sons. So the younger son wanted his inheritance, which his father gave him. The younger son then journeyed into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. We can, If we know the story of the prodigal son, you know what he, what he did with everything that he had. He gave everything away. He spent it on drinking and partying and women and ev- just wanted to go and experience life. I don't know why so many times we see that story, but people today think, I gotta go experience life. And we think life is going out in just blowing all our money on frivolous things, on worthless things. But he squandered all of his, his everything on reckless living. So that word right there is, is, trans- that is translated as reckless, exactly the same word that Paul used as an adverbial form of debauchery. So it's the same word. So we could read Paul's comment in verse 18 as follows. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is reckless. One who's drunk with wine is in a condition of debauchery, recklessness, no hope of safety, extravagant squandering, or excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. What Paul is saying is the characteristic of the old life is to not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, a life that is squandered in reckless living. That is the life that belongs to the person that doesn't know Christ. That was, the, That's the old you. That's the person that you are not to be as you become a follower of Jesus. It's the life that you live before you begin to believe, a, uh, became a believer. Paul is saying to choose a new life, to be filled with the spirit. We look at the second part of that. When we're saying it's the new life. So we look at the old life of Paul is saying, that's the old you. You used to get drunk. But the new you is filled with the spirit. The new you, there's been a transformation. The new you, something different has happened because you made a choice and decision in your life to look at your life, the old you, and say, that's not who I want to be. I'm not pleased with that person. I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want to give in to that lifestyle anymore. I don't want to make the same choices and the same decisions that led me further and further away from God. But I want to choose to let God come into my life and be completely everything. I want to choose new life new life is surrender. A new life should be controlled, productive, positive, and joyful. The thing is drunkenness always leads to debauchery in some form or fashion. When we think of the prodigal son, remember how pathetic his life was when he was at his lowest. His money was gone, his so-called friends were gone, everything was gone. The thing is he's just trying to keep his self alive, but... Sticking his head in the trough of the pigs, eating the slop, eating the pods that the pigs were eating. The thing is, no one gave him anything. At this point in his life, he was at rock bottom. He was, he was lost. And a lot of times in our life, it takes us for some reason getting to that place. It's why we preach, this, why we talk about it. It's like hoping people don't have to find the very bottom before they realize they need to look up and see there's somebody that can bring salvation and hope into their life. But here's the prodigal son with his head in a trough and all of a sudden he remembers that his father has servants that have way more food than he does. Food to spare. And he's sitting here starving and has nothing. At that point he decided that, you know what, enough was Enough i 've given everything away i 've squandered all i 've had i 've lived a reckless life, but he knew that and hopefully that there was forgiveness in the arms of his father. It was a new life of freedom and forgiveness, and we know that story is he made a choice and decision to run home to the father, to run home to safety, to run home to a place that that he knew was familiar. And he ran into the, to the arms of his father. His father met him on the hillside and forgave him. See, a new life is a life of freedom and forgiveness. When we allow the spirit to fill us up with his purpose and joy and satisfaction instead of resorting to alcohol, then we find that there is really is joy in serving, loving, and singing praises to Jesus. See, only the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit, can give us grace to be freed. From the power of drunkenness, or any bad habit, or anything that we're struggling with, Paul wrote this in Romans chapter six. He said, "Do not offer the parts. Part, do not offer the parts of your body to sin, but rather offer yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master. You, know, Paul's words are still for today. What he wrote over two thousand years ago." They still apply to us today. Let us not be drunk with with wine, but let us be filled with the Spirit. We can we can enter anything into those into that sentence. Let us not let us not this that, but let us be filled with the Spirit. Let us not be dependent upon other things of this world, but let's be dependent upon God. Let us be dependent upon his Holy Spirit. Let us overindulge in the presence of a father. Let us overindulge in worship. Let us overindulge in prayer. Let us overindulge in reading of his word. Let us indulge in in sitting in, in quiet. Let us overindulge. See, most of the time we want to just give God a little bit. Instead of saying, I want to overindulge. I want to completely give myself to you. To completely be drunk in your presence. The opposite. To let our lives not be characterized by anything else than it's reminiscent of our our old lives. Instead, let our lives be characterized by the feeling of the Spirit of God. See, the thing is God designed us to be in a relationship with Him. And he provides us with his Holy Spirit who alone enables us to live a controlled life, a productive life, a positive life, a joyful life. That we turn to him this morning, that we surrender ourselves to him and say, God, you, you fill us. And you be the peace of everything in my life as I surrender to you this morning. Amen. We're going to worship. Amen. again good morning and, um, and it certainly speaks to me very uh, directly very very powerfully and uh, I talked to the gentleman a little bit before just before getting up here I'm going to take a quick audible and the verse that's on my mind is uh, Romans 5.19 which the concept of that is through the disobedience of one man or made sinners just as through the righteousness of one man or made righteous so through the obedience of one many or made righteous amen as of yesterday, I've been four years sober. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's really a of And uh, this sermon for me, it, uh, it, it was a perfect description of my life, my justification of the things that I had been doing, and how step-by-step step, things got more and more out of control. Oh, and I guess my point with sharing with you all is just going to pull up a of I want to be part of that obedience that can be used as a tool to make the many righteous. And so I don't know where you are, maybe this something that doesn't speak to you at all, uh, certainly you're really There's something. Thank uh, and, and so I want to make myself available. Thank you. Uh, if anybody's struggling in any way, I will be, uh, here or behind the stage. I'd love to visit with you, or if you want to get in contact with me. Um, later, I'll come beside you and walk beside you, Thank you as we as we move in this journey, Thank you, of laying down the things Thank you, Lord. that separate us from God, Thank uh, you, laying Jesus. down the things that keep us from the life that God would have us live. And, and through even through all of my sin and, and, and my drinking, yeah, you know, there, there was. This, it's like God is up there this last song I'm going to God." the verse is talking about what God is running after us his love his love his goodness is running after us over and over again and even in the depth of my sin I am completely confident that he was running after me but i got you man. I thank you. thank you Jesus let's stand thank you God let's sing the praises of our God thank Jesus thank you Jesus yeah. Lord, and then I wake up. Jesus, till I lay my head, I will sleep. Oh, Lord, my life you have been faithful. Jesus, and all my life you have been, life, you have been so. So good breath that I am able I will see the goodness of God Jesus your voice you have led me through the fire yes Jesus all my things You are close like no other. I know you as a father. I know you as a friend. I have lived for the goodness of God. Thank you, Jesus. So, so good. Every breath that I hear, me oh, the goodness of God. Yes, Lord. Goodness is running out after, running after me. Your goodness. Your goodness is running after, running after me huh? I down, I'm surrendered now I give you everything Your goodness is running after, running after me Your goodness is running after, running after me after, it's running after me. Life laid down, I'm surrendered now, I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Jesus, thank you, Father God. In all my life, you have been faithful. Jesus. In all my life, you have been so, so good. Every breath that I am, what of the goodness of God. Look at Jesus. Yes, Lord. You have been so, so good. In every breath that I am able. Yes, Lord. I'm gonna sing of the goodness of God Yes Lord I Absolutely love that song that our we have a good good father that's an incredible father Man thank you for sharing your story oh, Wow And God is God is so good, Amen. I couldn't help but think as you were sharing the stories that even the end of that prodigal story that I wonder how many times in our lives the father stood on the balcony on the, on the front porch looking at the hillside saying today's the day that my son will come home. Today is the day that my daughter will return. And when I see them at the top of that hill, I will run to them. I will embrace them and I will love them and I forgive them. And maybe that shoe today has already been shared. And run to the Father. And allow Him to embrace you and hold you this morning. Let's believe that God is restoring and speaking to some hearts and lives this morning. Whatever it is, it may be not even alcohol. It could be some of the struggles and temptations in your life. But God's saying, surrender those to me. Come back to me this morning. Father, I pray a blessing over... Our congregation of this family this morning, whether you're on line with us, whether you're in this room, that the presence of the Holy Spirit would invade your living room, would invade uh, at the at the lakeside. God, in this room, that your spirit would begin to speak to those that are struggling, those that are running, those that are dealing with things in their life that today they surrender, they lay them down the weight, the heaviness of that burden. And Father, I pray a blessing in this in Jesus' name. And I encourage you this morning that you become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That you would let God love you. That you would love him in return. And love others in Jesus' name. Go be the church. Amen. God bless you this morning.